Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone. Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Now, this is not a new episode, but it's a re-release from a previous episode. And I'll talk about that in a minute. As always, you can find Let's Talk Micro on all podcast platforms. And on social media, I am on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro, no apostrophe, on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro 1, and on LinkedIn as Luis Plaza. So go ahead and follow, subscribe to the podcast, leave any feedback, any comments, any possible topic suggestions on social media. They are always welcome and appreciated. So I really want to thank you for your support and for listening to the podcast. You know, it's some great information. I enjoy putting this information out there and sharing it with you. So following the last episode, which was about Wolfhard Timonas, Karin Eklastica, you know, great episode with David Gaston and Yember Ahmad, and they went over that particular case of Wolfhard Timonas. You know, we talked about it. We talked about biochemical susceptibilities. So I thought it would be a good idea since we have, since Let's Talk Micro has new listeners, to bring a previous episode about Wolfhard Timonas, Carineclastica, and to just release it right after the latest episode. That way you can compare both of them. If you haven't listened to that one, the other one, you can go ahead and do so. So this episode that I'm releasing, it was originally published on February 24th of this year. And it was about an article titled Wolfhard Timonas, Carineclastica, Monomicrobial Bacteremia in a Homeless Man. This episode featured, featured Dr. Paul Luthi, who's an associate director of clinical microbiology laboratory at the University of Maryland Medical Center Laboratories of Pathology. So if you haven't checked it out, go ahead and do so and compare both episodes. The episode with Dr. Luthi was about a, it was a monomicrobial bacteremia, which from what I have learned and what we have seen, Typically, Wolfhartimonas caniniclastica is seen in polymicrobial uh, infections, but in that previous case, it was seen in uh, it was a monomicrobial bacteremia. So it's very interesting to compare and contrast. I mean, one thing that's a study is that it is transmitted by a fly, and we see it typically in in a population of the homeless. So that previous case, it was identified originally on a Vitek MS Molditov platform. On the last episode with David Gaston and Yembo Ramad, it was identified via the broker. But both episodes, you know, they they go over biochemicals, they go over morphology, they go over susceptibilities. So I just invite you to go ahead and check it out if you haven't already. And definitely if you haven't listened to the last episode with Dr. Gaston and Dr. Ramad, Go ahead and do so. It was, a, it was a great episode. I had a great time recording it, and it was great. You know, Dr. Gaston, he provided so much more information about how blood cultures work, and, you know, we talked about biochemicals, and so much more. So, let's go ahead and listen to this episode. And like I said, it was originally published on February 24th of this year, episode 35. So on today's episode, we are here to discuss an article. I mean, nowadays with instruments and such as the Molotov, we're seeing more organisms, uh, more that we have, you know, there sometimes, you know, we haven't heard of them. So on today's episode, we are going to discuss an article titled Wolfhard Timonas, Chiriniclastica, 
Monomicrobial Bacteremia in a Homeless Man. This was published in the Emergent Infectious Diseases Journal from the CDC on December of 2021. So to discuss this article today, I have Dr. Paul Luthi, which he's an assistant professor at the University of Maryland School of Medicine, and also an associate director of the Clinical Microbiology Laboratory at the University of, Med of Maryland Medical Center Laboratories of Pathology. So Dr. Luthi, welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hey, thanks, Louis. Thanks for, for having me. I'm really excited to talk about this really weird organism. It's definitely an unusual case. Um, so can we start? Let's start with a, a summary about the article. Yeah, sure. So this is a guy um, who came in the summer of 2020. Um, he's a little bit older. He's in his 60s. And unfortunately, he was homeless. And he came in, he had some vascular issues. So he had deep vein uh, thrombosis, chronic venous insufficiency. Um, and he was found in a single parking spot in Maryland for three days. So kind of bad situation, you know, not, not great. Um, when he came in, he was admitted, he had a septic shock and his blood cultures upon uh, coming in for septic shock, um, he um, grew these interesting gram-negative rods. Um, and they really couldn't be identified by any of the methods we had in the laboratory. Um, and so um, they grew uh, in the anaerobic blood culture bottle and uh, they had to be identified, as you mentioned at the beginning by Molitoff MS is giving us all these ideas, uh, new IDs. And so by Molitoff in our laboratory, we identified this as the Wolf Artemonis uh, chitinoclastica. And we confirmed that by 16S sequencing. Um, and this was a pretty cool case because often as the infectious diseases fellow found in his literature search, this organism is usually not found by itself. Usually it's found in a, a polymicrobial infection. And this was only the second case um, of a, poly, or a monomicrobial single organism blood culture caused by, or blood infection sepsis caused by um, this organism. Okay, so so um, at other times it, it it is found along with other organisms in blood cultures. Yeah, in blood and as well as wound cultures as well. So there's a uh, in this paper that there's a big table and it, it talks about um, how it, it's the let me see um, what did it have? Uh, there's one that had like p acnes and a coag negative staph along with it. Um, one that had proteus along with it. Um, Another one that had uh, other enterics like a Providencia and a Proteus, as well as a Staphylococcus aureus. So you're seeing multiple microorganisms. And usually, right, when you see here that, you say, okay, well, it's the gram negative rods, like the Providencia and the Proteus. And then it's, maybe it's the Staphylococcus aureus that are causing the real infection here. So this was interesting because the, the, the man came in with um, just a single bug, this single wolf artemonis, and that was determined to be the cause of his septic shock. Okay, so and then this is uh, for the audience, like uh, Dr. Luthi says, so this is a gram-negative rod. And um, so as far as on, so you mentioned to the, the, the patient here, he was homeless. So what kind of patient population do we normally see this organism on? So this organism, there's been a, quite a few looks of, of, of what type of people, and, and unfortunately, it seems to be one associated with lower economic class. So homeless individuals, those who may not be as well off, um, 
poor hygiene is, is something that is associated. And so that might be associated with those of a lower socioeconomic class, uh, as well as those who um, maybe live closer to livestock, um, as well as have issues such as alcoholism. And this guy was older, so he was in his 60s. So again, also people who are, are a little bit older as well. Um, and the reason why this is all associated with people who are you know, homeless or lower socioeconomic status or poor hygiene is because this organism is found um, largely due to um, people who are uh, also, I guess, infected, or I guess maybe you want to say colonized with um, fly larvae. So this, this bacteria is associated with fly larvae and is found inside of the fly larvae. Well, that's definitely very interesting. Um, so you mentioned, so none of the instruments other than Malditov could identify it. Um, so, you know, there are several uh, products out there from Malditov. Uh, which one was it identified on? So we have in our laboratory, we have the uh, Vitec mass spectrometer. Um, so that worked very well. It gave a very good idea. It's not one that is currently claimed, at least at this time. Um, on the FDA database, who knows, you know, in a couple months from now, someone might come back and listen to this and it might be claimed later on. But at this moment in time, it's not claimed on the database. Um, so that's why we had to pursue additional um, identification via 16S sequencing. Um, I do believe that the Bruker Molitov can also identify it as well. Okay. Send it. All right. So Vitec, the MS, that's the same one that, uh, that I'm familiar with that I use. So, but this is just the regular, it's not the, the RUO, it's just regular Vitec MS. Right, yeah, just the regular and, and sometimes, right, as you've probably seen that organisms that are kind of weird, um, aren't as common, the, the database is actually probably right and probably in this case, in this case it was, it, it can identify some of those weird organisms as the company is adding more and more spectra to the database. Um, and so that's what this case was here. But again, just not one that has been submitted for FDA approval yet. Um, so it's kind of one of those use at your own risks, and that's why we we submitted it for sequencing for confirmation. Um, yes, and for the audience out there, I mean, those of you that work with Vitec MS, so organisms that are not claimed, they show with an N on the ID, and definitely you do have a range from the unusual, um, and even sometimes some that we do see commonly in, in, in the lab, such as like Aerocarcus urinae. So typically the lab will proceed to validate them via other methods, and then after you get, you know, an X number of samples, then even though the N is never going to go away, it's always on your database, it's going to show up like that. But if your laboratory has validated it, then you can go ahead and accept it, which is the case I would, you know, we have done with Aerococcus urinae and other organisms. Yeah, we, we've done the same thing. And, and um, we would have loved to have been able to do this with biochemical testing on this one, but you know, I was looking in some of the textbooks and it really isn't positive for many things. It's, it's really just some weakly, um, weakly acidification of some of the sugars. And, and that's about it besides catalase and oxidase. So it's one of your environmental non-fermenters that doesn't give you a good answer on your biochemical test strips. Okay. And, and definitely also, since it's such an unusual organism, you're not going to have enough samples to validate it on your database. So you will have to proceed with another method of identifying it, just like as you did. Um, so you mentioned, yeah, so not much as far as biochemicals. So do you know, you know, for us here in the lab, uh, which media does it grow on? Yeah, so it actually grows pretty well on all the standard media. So we grew it on blood, chocolate, and McConkie. 
Um, and on McConkie agar, it's a non-fermenter, so it would, would not turn purple, right? Um, as a non-lactose fermenter, because it's a non-fermenter in general, not just, um, not a lactose fermenter. Um, and the colonies, um, they're described as being short, short coxoid rods um, that when they grow, the colonies are flat, slightly spready colonies. Um, again, they're oxidase positive, um, non-fermenters, they're indole negative. Um, so that's something that would that would, you could see as well. And then again, yeah, it's like pretty much almost everything else negative as well. Okay. So definitely. So in the case that if we encounter it in the lab, then you will be able to see it by the standard media. So it just, it will grow along with so yeah. McConkie definitely and blood, like you said, chocolate. Okay. So mm -hmm. for us here, as far as, you know, like us medical lab scientists, you know, in the lab, we're working this, we get this organism. So what do we do as far as susceptibilities? That's a great question. Um, there aren't any breakpoints for this organism, right? It's, it's so weird because it's associated with fly larvae. You have to, to be, have fly larvae eating you somewhere to even get this, that, um, there are no CLSI, there are no FDA, there are no UCAS breakpoints. Um, that doesn't mean that people haven't tried to use susceptibility testing to try to interpret, um, how to treat. Um, there are reports of people using e-tests. Um, there was a paper I was reading that they were using, um, the microscan type of panels. So your automated panels, like a microscan or a Vitec or other companies, automated panels, um, that they've placed on there. And, and when they've tried to interpret, they've used most often, um, the, not the non-enterobacteriaceae, um, CLSI or UCAS breakpoints. Um, and so they've used those to interpret, um, of note. Um, some of the textbooks say in their tiny little entry of like a, a paragraph and a half about this organism that it's resistant to penicillin, um, but that it's pretty susceptible to some of the other um, antibiotics. Um, that includes the other beta-lactams like the cephalosporins, um, as well as some of the other things like the fluoroquinolones, so your levofloxacin, your ciprofloxacin, it seemed to be pretty sensitive to that as well. And that's ultimately what our, our team at our hospital treated with. They first started with a, a cephalosporin, uh, ceftriaxone, and then they moved the patient to levofloxacin upon discharge. Okay. So was since, so there are no, no breakpoints, but was there any like testing set up in the lab or was it more like, you know, the patient was put on something and then he responded to the treatment? Yeah, it was, it was that they put him on the ceftriaxone first and he responded really well. Um, they went straight to the literature since we didn't really know what to do with this thing. And, uh, due to their homeless status, they, and poor socioeconomic status, they wanted to get out of the hospital as soon as, as possible. And, um, so they were just looking for whatever guidance they could find in the literature to, to determine how to treat this guy. Okay. And then you said, so in some, so sometimes they might, they might use like the, on the CLSI, the, the non-fermenting gram negative rods. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. It, it, it could be used for that, right? It's one of those ones that no one's really sure what the best thing to use is for that one. Um, besides that, you just can't use it for Pseudomonas aeruginosa, Burkholderia's patient, you know, ones that already have other breakpoints. So it's kind of that weird catch-all one that kind of does catch-all kind of doesn't. It's kind of weird. Okay. Definitely. So as far as, you know, so when like we get this organism and then in the lab or, and then we call, you know, we notify the physician and say, Hey, um, no, uh, you know, the patient has Wolhartimonas, uh, was it cat chitin, cat 
I think chitinoclastica, yeah. Chitinoclastica. So as far as from an infection prevention standpoint, are there any measures? I mean, not much is known about this organism. Yeah, I don't think there are. Um, I mean, especially by itself, I don't think it's anything that you worry about, like contact precautions or anything like that. It's really, it's associated with the larvae. So if, if the people don't have the larvae on them, you don't have to really worry about that being spread through, through that way. I think um, most likely what the infection prevention standards would be is, again, there's only two cases of it with a minor, with by itself causing an infection. It's almost always with something else. And so you'd probably be following contact precautions, for example, for your MRSA or VRE or something else that might also be causing infection at the same time in the same wound or the same blood culture um, that you isolate this from rather than just from the wolf artemonis on its own. Okay. And as far as from the article, so uh, the patient recovered, was put on treatment and he responded? Yeah, very quickly um, he responded and to the ceftriaxone. Okay, that's good. So this is definitely, um, and for the audience out there, that's that's what, you know. It's always good to, you know, correlate the history with the with the organism that you have, and that's something that all of us technologists and you know, we should definitely always pay attention to when we see organisms, especially unusual ones. Do the research, you know, uh, search in textbooks, and of course, always you know, pull the patient's history and see. Um, and this, you know, it seems that it's you know, a homeless, seen in a homeless population and it's caused by larvae. So this is definitely a very unusual case. But for those of you out there that are, you know, nowadays that if you have moldy stuff in your lab, you know, it's always good to keep it in the back of your mind. If you ever see this, that way now, you know, with this information out there that, you know, you know in which direction to go forward. Um, Anything else uh, about this case, Dr. Luthi, that you want to tell the audience? Not that I can think of. Um, definitely just a weird bug. I mean, I think the story behind it's kind of fun. They, interesting fact I was reading is um, it has this really, I mean, as the name suggests, it has a really strong chitin ace ability, so it can, can chew up chitin. And they think that um, because it's associated with the larvae, that um, it is a symbiote with the larvae, meaning that they mutually benefit each other. And that it might be involved with the chitinase activity in um, metamorphosis of the larvae to a fly from the like worm larvae stage to the fly stage, because as it's metamorphosizing, it chews up the chitin in the larvae and helps it change into a fly. And I just thought that was kind of crazy and weird um, that something could, could help out with that. Wow, definitely is. All right. Well, um, Dr. Luthi, I want to thank you for taking the time to come in over uh, to Let's Talk Micro and talk about this case. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. You're welcome. And that, my dear audience, it's the end of this episode. If you hadn't listened to this episode before about Wolf Artimona's Catanoclastica, I hope you enjoyed it. As always, as always I am so happy uh, to share all this information with you. Continue bringing that passion to what you do. It's so important. And stay tuned to Let's Talk Micro. Continue subscribing, leaving any feedback. A lot of good stuff is coming your way. So thank you for listening and please continue doing so. 
As always, stay motivated, stay safe, and of course, continue talking micro. Until the next time. Bye.